Venezuelan middle-class woman in Caracas wakes up to yet another day with no food in her refrigerator, no electricity, no safety, and nowhere to turn. She faces no choice but to take herself and her two children on a route that crosses thousands of kilometers, taking countless buses, trains, and footpaths to get to the Peruvian border, where she hopes to request asylum. She is promptly turned away, as her passport and national identity card are expired because there is no way for her to obtain valid documents in her country. This reality is not unique, and this interaction between border officials and Venezuelan asylum seekers happens daily as thousands are turned away at the border and prevented from applying for asylum. In this podcast, we'll explore what led to the Venezuelan migration crisis and how its neighboring country, Peru, is responding. On behalf of Jorge Clavo Abas and myself, Stephanie Alejandra Ortega, this is Incertidumbre, the plight of Venezuelan asylum seekers in Peru. So Jorge, tell me about why Venezuelans are coming to the Peruvian border. To find a precise starting point as to where Venezuela got to where it is today is a bit challenging. Um, not just because the history of it is a little bit uh, debated, but also because of my perspective firsthand as a Venezuelan-born person. Um, So we could go back all the way to 1998 and the election of Hugo Chavez and therefore the start of the socialist regime in Venezuela, but it would be better to, for the purposes of this podcast, to address the situation from 2007 to the present. So 2007 saw the first devaluation of the Venezuelan currency, the Bolívar, in a ratio of 1,000 to 1, um, thereby being reflective of the high rate of inflation that the country was facing due to economic mismanagement. Um, The Chavez government made its plans for its social work, its ample social work in uh, the lower income barrio of Venezuela, um, on the assumption of oil being sold in the na- in the international market at one hundred twenty dollars a barrel, um, Venezuela, as we know, is a leading oil producing country and a member of OPEC, which is the oil cartel um, that governs the sale of fossil fuels uh, on a global basis essentially. Um, when the financial crisis hit the global financial crisis hit in the late 2000s, uh, the price of oil plummeted. And therefore, so did the riches of Venezuela. Uh, The social projects were still maintained to some degree, but of course, um, the deficit that they were causing, along with other strategies of economic mismanagement, such as the expropriation of private businesses and bringing them under nationalization, but then also not knowing how to manage them, created essentially the perfect storm for an economic disaster. Uh, This past year, both the IMF and the World Bank projected that in 2019, the inflation rate of the Bolivar was to exceed 1 million percent. So this economic uncertainty led to an increase in insecurity. People started to not have anywhere to turn to to make ends meet, and an already insecure country became that much worse. Uh, Venezuela has one of the highest uh, rates of homicides per capita um, due to gun violence in in the world. Um, 
second only to El Salvador, according to the latest statistics consulted. Um, this also contributed to government corruption. In order to make anything happen in Venezuela, you need to have what's called a palanca or an enchufe, which is uh, a slang term for a connection in the government that you essentially bribe to get a birth certificate, a marriage license, um, the uh, deeds to be able to sell a house or car, and so on. Um, that's the case definitely for passports and for the cédula de identidad or the national identity document, which is a card all Venezuelans have. Um, and that's always been the case. But with this worsening economic situation, the the bribery surrounding this, the economy of identification uh, worsened severely. So when we put all of that together, this massive hyperinflation, the lack of employment, uh, worsening government corruption, um, the fact that power outages are happening all the time due to lack of investment in infrastructure, that water in the city of Valencia, where my family's from, the third largest city in the country, sometimes comes out of the faucets with larva and with uh, uh, industrial waste, creates a, a climate where, logically, most people don't want to continue living in Venezuela. They start to look to opportunities abroad. And so there has been migration to the United States, to Spain, to Colombia, Panama, Mexico, Brazil, Ecuador, and Peru, which is the focus of this podcast. Um, people desperately find a way to, to leave, and that is reflected in the fact that since 2015, over 3 million people have left uh, Venezuela for uh, a territory abroad. Uh, we're talking about a country that has a population of approximately 30 million people, a population that is, compared to the rest of Latin America, relatively well-educated. Um, one will find often that uh, Venezuelan migrants are lawyers, doctors, engineers. Um, in this sense, Venezuela, unfortunately, is becoming the, the Syria of Latin America, um, a, a terrible domestic situation is forcing uh, mostly educated and prepared people to, to leave the country. And actually, um, some projections as of late have uh, made the estimate that the refugee crisis that is ensuing from the situation in Venezuela could worsen uh, to a degree where it exceeds the amount of migrants that have been seeking refuge elsewhere as a result of the crisis in Syria. Um, the problem is that, of course, facing all of this, a an individual seeking to leave Venezuela has to have documents in order. You need to have your passport and you need to have your identity card in order to be able to be deemed legible by international organizations or by governments uh, uh, abroad to which one may request asylum. The issue is that because of the scarcity of products um, due to the fact that this is a country where people stand in line 12 hours outside of a supermarket to see if they're able to get milk for the week or where bread runs out, um, the materials to literally print passports and identity cards uh, is nowhere to be found. 
uh, a friend of my father's in order to be able to continue doing business abroad needed his documents to be in order and to be uh, not out of date. He ended up paying the equivalent of 4,800 US dollars in order to get the documents uh, in less than three weeks turnaround time. Um, obviously, that's not manageable for the great majority of people. Um, even middle class people have to pay hundreds of dollars in bribes, sometimes in physical US foreign currency, in order to facilitate documentation, uh, if there is any to be found. For many people, that's simply not an option. So they have to leave the country, and they do so with documents that they know are expired. Um, some countries, such as Colombia and Ecuador, have made special provisions in order to accept uh, expired identity cards and expired passports at the border, knowing full well that it is impossible to obtain anything else. In the case of Peru, the government initially had open-door policies and voiced tremendous solidarity with Venezuelan migrants, even setting up initiatives to facilitate inclusion into labor markets and social spheres. Uh, but concerns from the Peruvian public with Peru's overwhelmed asylum system have heightened national pressures to restrict entrance. In the face of this unprecedented wave of migration, the Peruvian government has shifted priorities, focusing on fortifying national borders, narrowing asylum legislation, and perhaps most controversially, imposing a passport requirement for all migrants presenting themselves at the border. For the thousands who present themselves at the border daily and the over half a million Venezuelan nationals currently seeking refuge in Peru, this is just absolutely devastating. The passport requirement was first passed and implemented as of August 25th of 2018. The policy meant that Venezuelan nationals who previously could enter with state identity documents or even expired passports must possess an official valid passport from their home country in order to enter Peru and proceed through the asylum process. Like any undue restriction to the right to asylum, it was met with fierce opposition from human rights officials, particularly the Peruvian government's National Coordinator of Human Rights and the Venezuelan Union, a nonprofit in Peru helping migrants assimilate and access employment. They argued that exceptions should be made for the most vulnerable migrants, namely children, pregnant women, the elderly, and folks with chronic illnesses. In a letter addressed to the Foreign Minister of Peru, Nestor Popolizio, the Venezuelan Union argued that these folks should be allowed to enter based on strictly humanitarian reasons. Overall, um, this policy has been highly controversial and it was deemed antith antithetical to humanitarian aid by opposing political figures. After facing an appeals process based on habeas corpus, uh, the petition was briefly rescinded uh, before ultimately being reinstated, as it remains currently. These new provisions have severely limited access to asylum and entries at the border. The, the average number of Venezuelan migrants that enter at the border with Ecuador has more than halved, dropping from 3,000 to 1,300 per day, approximately. All of this brings up the greater question of the state of, of the right to asylum. Whether it's on the border of Peru or the border with Mexico, the universality of this right and the livelihood of the folks who desperately need international protection is constantly under fire. The difficulty of entering Peru and 
just merely accessing the complicated application process for asylum is just one more obstacle for migrants who are already struggling to gain economic stability in Peru and be included um, as conservative rhetoric really sways towards protecting labor markets and keeping migrants out. These kinds of requirements pose concerning limitations on migrants attempting to flee persecution, exacerbating the key issues they face on a daily basis, and really highlighting what I'd say is a central tension here, the tension between state sovereignty and human rights concerns. For the hundreds of thousands of Venezuelan migrants attempting to seek relief in Peru, asylum seekers face two uncompromising arbiters, the hyper-militarizing home country um, that is indirectly and directly slaughtering its own citizens and forcing them out, and a relief destination with an increasingly militarizing border, where xenophobia is rising and where relief is rapidly dwindling. These realities make it imperative that Peru overturn this kind of legislation and follow the intentions that the government has stated on the national and international sphere uh, of helping those most in, in need of international protections. In the face of a really uncertain future for those still in Venezuela, Peru and other Latin American countries must develop long-term solutions to adequately deal with the crisis at hand rather than just resort to the abandonment of international responsibilities and banning asylum seekers at the border. When governments put policies in place that effectively undermine the right to seek asylum, they're not only retracting prior commitments, but also putting the validity and existence of human rights into question. Who has human rights if the rights of those without a country of origin to protect them are not being properly taken up by foreign bodies? In the interest of the protection and the realization of the rights of Venezuelans, Peruvian and Latin American legislators and human rights advocates must develop and adopt robust, permanent, and non-discriminatory relief measures, starting with the necessary repeal of the passport requirement. For the sake of human rights for all, access to asylum cannot be synonymous with access to a passport. This has been Incertidumbre, the plight of Venezuelan migrants in Peru. Thank you for listening, and a big thank you to our instructor, David Ansari, for giving us the opportunity to produce this podcast for, his, for a final project for his course, Forced Exile, Displacement, Development, and Disaster. <laughs>